Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, we hope you enjoy this repeat broadcast. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. This week, we want to continue our examination of a book titled The Infinite Atonement. It was written by Tad R. Callister back in the year 2000. And as we mentioned last week, you might be wondering, well, why are we wanting to look at a book that has been around for so many years? Well, folks, it's quite simple. This is still a very popular book today. Eric, you were looking on Amazon, and you will see that this probably has the closest to a five-star review that you will find for any book on Amazon. Most people give it five stars. Bill, nothing is less than a three-star, and only just a couple. People are still buying this book, so it is popular. We have to assume that those people that are giving it such high reviews are members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And of course, if so, and they like this book, they must think that Tad Callister has a lot of positive things to say about this very important subject, the atonement. And I would also assume that they would probably agree with many, if not all, of the things that he has to say about the subject. Now, as evangelical Christians, certainly we are finding a lot of problem areas because we do not view the atonement of Christ in the same way that Latter-day Saints do. They may use the word atonement, but they certainly don't look at it the same way. And as I brought out last week, first of all, the problem is where did the atonement take place? What does the atonement actually accomplish for a Latter-day Saint? Or what do they expect it to accomplish, I should say? And what is required of the member of the LDS Church in order to gain the benefits of the atonement? Those are the three basic areas that we're looking at when we study this book. But before we go on, I want to mention Ted Callister is not a slouch in The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, I'm reading the back flap of the hardcover copy where it says about the author. It says, Tad R. Callister was serving in the presidency of the Seventy and as a member of the Second Quorum of the Seventy when he was called as Sunday School General President in April 2014. He previously served as president of the Canada Toronto East Mission, as a member of the Fifth Quorum of the Seventy, and as a member of the Pacific Area Presidency. And it also goes on to say, before his call to full-time church service, Elder Callister was a practicing attorney in a family law firm in California specializing in tax and business matters. He also has a bachelor's degree from BYU. So as you can see, Callister is not your average member in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He comes with some credentials. He comes with some clout behind his name. And even though he's not a general authority in the top echelon of the church leadership, he definitely seems to have a lot of respect among church members. So today we want to continue looking at what he has to say about the atonement, and we want to talk about the aspect of obedience in order to get the benefits of the Mormon atonement. On page 184, Callister writes this, The Savior picks up part of the burden for those who do repent. Well, that seems to go along with what James Faust said about the atonement when he made the comment that we have to do our part if we want Jesus to pay for the rest of our debt. In other words, there isn't a complete 
payment for the debt of our sins in the sacrifice of Christ, according to Mormonism. His sacrifice was not, as we would say, all-sufficient. Jesus is not enough in Mormonism. It's got to be Jesus and what he did, plus what you as a member must do also. But then what does he say on page 258 and 260, Eric? Yeah, he writes, how then does the Lord propose to make us free? The answer is obedience. And I'm going to flip around from pages 258 through 260 and skip a little bit, but he goes on and says, as we obey God's laws, we received increased knowledge of God's plan. And with increased knowledge comes increased ability for freedom. Obedience also broadens the list of our choices. If we are not obedient, we have no option to be baptized, no option to receive the priesthood, no option to be endowed or sealed in the temple, all of which are necessary in our transformation into the freest of all beings, namely, small g, gods. Obedience is one of the prime keys that unlock the power of godhood, bringing freedom in its fullest and grandest measure. And as you pointed out, even though he uses the small g for the words gods and godhood, he is certainly not denying the fact that Mormonism does teach its people that they can become gods. Now, you would think, even though he's using the small g here, when the Mormon eventually achieves this godhood, and according to Mormonism, in doing so, you then get your own world in order to rule over Will the offspring that are born to you on these worlds not view you as God, capital G? And see, I think that's often overlooked when Mormons are trying to argue, well, we don't think we're going to be gods as God is right now. We're just going to be like him. Well, wait a minute. That's not totally true, because if a Mormon was to inherit his own world, as Mormon leaders have said they will— if they achieve this type of exaltation, would they not be looked upon by their offspring as God, capital G? Yes, of course they would. When he says that obedience is one of the prime keys that unlock the power of Godhood, bringing freedom, we have to ask the question, obedience to what? And what he is referring to, what LDS leaders continually refer to, is the laws as commissioned by the Mormon church. And he lists some of the things you have to do. You have to have the priesthood. You have to have baptism. You have to go to the temple. Those are things that are required. And then you have to keep all the ordinances that the church tells you to follow. Well, let's look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about this in Galatians chapter 3. Because if we look at verse 23 in Galatians 3, it says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. You see, there's a difference between where we are and where the LDS Church is. We would both argue, yes, we are held captive. We are captive under the law, according to Paul. We are imprisoned, but that imprisonment only lasts until the coming of faith. That's how we are released from this imprisonment, as Paul is describing it. He says, so then... The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, are Mormons really justified by faith? No, not at all. In fact, I want to read from Doctrines of the Gospel Student Manual. This is Religion 430, 431. It says this on page 50. 
What then is the law of justification? It is simply this. All covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations in which men must abide to be saved and exalted, must be entered into and performed in righteousness so that the Holy Spirit can justify the candidate for salvation in what has been done. Who said that? Bruce McConkie. Bruce R. McConkie, which we mentioned last week, Ted Callister seems to like Bruce McConkie. But if you look at that definition of what justification is, it is certainly not a justification by faith alone. There are other things that must be done if the Latter-day Saint hopes to be justified. This is where this obedience concept comes into play. Continuing on, the passage that you were reading from in Galatians 3, verses 25 and 26 says, But now that faith has come... We are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. That is what Paul emphasizes. In fact, he goes on in chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, and he says, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Enslaved. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And my favorite verse in this whole book of Galatians is verse 1 of chapter 5. Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Bill, in Mormonism, it's slavery. You've got to do all of these things. You can never know that you have the assurance of salvation, as 1 John 5.13 talks about. The Mormon leaders have put Mormons into quite a predicament because they know they can't do everything they're supposed to do. But here is Ted Callister saying obedience is required for advancement. And going back to the verses that you were just citing, Eric, in Galatians chapter 3, we don't see where Paul is saying that we are justified by all covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations. We don't see any mention of this at all. So how in the world could you say that the Mormon view of justification is a biblical or New Testament view of justification? It doesn't seem to be the case two more verses. Let's go on to verses 3 and 4 of Galatians 5. Paul says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. And he uses the word circumcision. There are still many Jewish people that are part of the early Christian church. They would understand that completely because circumcision was a ritual that was very important to the Jewish people. We could easily substitute words that Callister has used in his book, and we'll, we'll pick three of them, baptism, priesthood, and temple. According to Callister, there is no freedom without accomplishing these things in your Mormon walk. The problem is, is all three of those are rituals, or they involve ritual. Instead of really teaching that we are justified by faith, as Paul clearly taught, Callister, and I would also say the LDS Church as a whole, is teaching that you are saved 
by ritual. You are justified by ritual. And that would go back to the quote I read from Bruce McConkie that's found on page 50 of this vetted manual, this correlated manual, Doctrines of the Gospel Student Manual, Religion 430 and 431. He also cites on page 176, Doctrine and Covenants 131 and 32. While the Lord cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance, he has nonetheless promised he that repents and does the commandments of the Lord shall be forgiven. So here again, he's pointing to their own scripture and a verse that I would say we use a lot when we're on the streets. And while he may look at that as being a positive verse, I find when I mention that verse to most Latter-day Saints, they don't take it that way. They see that as a very condemning verse because who in the world can find an assurance if God is not going to look upon sin with the least degree of allowance, unless, of course, you feel confident that you have abandoned all your sin, which in Mormonism would be true repentance. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. All of us at Mormonism Research Ministry want to reach out and thank you for your kind support of Viewpoint on Mormonism. We hope that the information coming your way has been a help and encouragement as you share the hope we all have in Jesus Christ. During this holiday season, would you prayfully consider a year-end donation to MRM to help give us a much-needed financial boost into the new year? Your tax-deductible gifts are much appreciated and will be used to further our efforts at Mormonism Research Ministry.